0: Lecture 14, Part 3 of The Endowments of Man, by William Bernard Ullathorne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Lecture 14, From the Beginning to the End of Man, Part 3. Let us return to the grain of mustard seed, to the law of the first beginning what parent ever took the trembling mystery of infancy to his breast without feeling how poor and feeble is the origin of man the first dawn of human life is nothing but animal instinct and vegetable life the soul created in that animal frame is still enfolded with its light as the rosebud in its green and tender leaves how has the body grown from its germinal existence to its state of vigorous maturity unless god has provided the inexhaustible resources of his providence it must have perished every mother might repeat the words of the brave mother of the maccabees when she exhorted her seven children to die for the law of god i know not how you were formed in the womb for i neither gave you breath nor soul nor life neither did i frame the limbs of each one of you think of your long dependence on your mother's love and care you grew at her breast your affections were opened by the outpourings of her own your mind was awakened to its first acts by her tender babblings and she brought your tongue to speak upon the mother's care came the father's authority and your subjection to your parents prepared and disposed you for your subjection to god whom they first taught you to know this is the wonderful moment of transition from earthly to heavenly beginnings when the light of reason begins to dawn and when with the light of reason dawns the light of grace the mother points to heaven with gentle words and the child begins to know that heavenly father to whom the little hands and eyes are lifted up in the first simple accents of prayer what can be more beautifully ordered than this carrying up of love and duty from our earthly parents to our heavenly father from whom they descend anew with greater strength towards those earthly parents by whom they were first awakened the long years of growth and consequent dependence assigned to man as compared with the rapid maturity of the irrational animals shows how much he has to acquire as an intelligent being and the length of his pupillage is divinely ordained that the dependence of his nature may be deeply imprinted upon him and that he may be trained to that lifelong obedience which he owes to god how have you reached your manhood the mere history of your corporal nourishment is most wonderful it has come to you from all climes and has engaged the industry of many races of men thousands of your fellow-creatures have contributed their toils cares perils and sufferings under the overruling providence of god to build up your body to the vigour of manhood it were a goodly lesson to human conceit were you to meditate on the history of your clothing shelter diet and personal comfort and then on the providence of god that beyond the intention of all these toiling and suffering creatures has brought the products of their labors to bear on your own well-being put all these means and eternal resources together trace them to their several origins and you will be amazed at the number and variety of causes external to your own will that god has brought into operation to make you what you are but if the earth has conspired with all its elements and with the toils and labours of so many of god's creatures to construct nourish and protect your mortal frame heaven has sent forth its light and god his graces to develop and raise up your soul that the image of god within you might ascend to his likeness by the faith of your parents you were brought in your unconsciousness to the church of god your offences were removed and you received the grace that inclines the soul to god thus was the image of god raised to his likeness and the light of god's countenance was sealed upon you in the reception of faith hope and charity as you were generated to adam without your will you were regenerated unto christ without your will as you contracted offense without your will your offense was removed without your will and now began your training both as the child of man and the child of god who shall tell the outward and still less the inward history of the opening of your mind to light and knowledge how many minds and how many facts have helped you to this knowledge but of what avail would all external help have been without the interior light of reason and faith which have never ceased to shine into your mind from god think for a moment how many minds in how many ages nations and conditions of life have contributed to the education of your mind and the storing of your memory who again shall tell the history of the forming of your heart to justice duty and generosity what a narrative would that be that would tell the history in all its steps of the interior of one single christian soul through her conflicts of light with darkness of grace with nature of conscience with self of humility with pride from the first dawn of reason and active faith to the sanctified hour of her departure to god this is the charm of the lives of the saints Although so much of their interior history can never be known until it is revealed to us in heaven. But in vain had been all teaching, in vain all the discipline of youth, without the light of God to see his truth and the grace to will his law. Parents, pastors and teachers may have done their part, but God gave them the light to teach and gave us the light to understand they were the instrument to develop the gifts of which god is the giver what a gift is that of speech what the body is to the soul speech is to our intellectual light it is the essential instrument both for apprehending and communicating truth as well as the bond of social life and of social religion it was given by god to the intelligence and can only exist through intelligence through the gift of language we receive the revelations of god the wisdom of past ages the present communications of mind to mind and the knowledge of what is distant from us in time and place through the gift of language we are able to know the course of god's providence through all the ages of the world through this gift all the traditions of past ages reach us in this present time and every kind of knowledge both human and divine as the body in due order is the obedient servant of the soul speech in due order is the obedient servant of truth looking to all these things each of them seems to put saint paul's question in its turn what hast thou which thou hast not received and if thou hast received why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received these questions go to the very roots of good and evil for both truth and justice require us to confess the gifts of god and that we should not ascribe to ourselves what we receive from him but whoever is so far gone in pride as to ascribe to himself what he has received from god has infected his soul with a dark falsehood and deformed his life with a deep injustice it is often said that men have much in common but in so far as the vision of the mind and the justice of the will is concerned they are often as far from each other as though they were creatures of another kind and lived in different worlds what can be farther asunder than the man who thinks in the light of god and the man who thinks only in the light of nature what can be wider apart than the man whose will is centered on god and the man whose will is centered on himself they differ from each other in the fundamental principles of life thought and conduct whilst the man of nature has the most contracted views of everything the man of faith has an infinite prospect before his mind whilst the natural man acts on the lowest motives the man of faith is elevated by the highest motives of which an intelligent creature is capable he thinks more from god's point of view than from his own because this divine point of view has become his own and thus he beholds even human affairs in the light of divine principles let us not be deceived by our present confines and limitations we already feel our capacity for eternal things and whilst bound in body to the earth we can ascend in mind to heaven our desires are in advance of our position and we know that god is secretly with us but every advancement towards the open possession of god involves the breaking down of our natural limitations AND THIS BREAKING THROUGH OUR LIMITATIONS IS ALWAYS A SURRENDER OF SELF AND A SACRIFICE. THROUGH OUR BIRTH FROM ADAM WE ARE IN THE BONDAGE OF SATAN, AND WE ARE FREED FROM THAT BONDAGE THROUGH THE REGENERATION OF CHRIST. BUT THOUGH BY HIS REGENERATION WE ARE TRANSFERRED INTO HIS KINGDOM, WE ARE STILL IN THE BONDAGE OF IGNORANCE from this bondage we are set free through the labors of instruction after the light of instruction has expanded the mind and made it free in the truth we still find ourselves compressed and held under restraint by our bodily senses and by that passionate egotism and concupiscence which fetter and clog the wings of the soul then comes the combat of the spirit against the flesh and of the love of god against the love of self a long and severe combat calling for self-denial patience and many sacrifices before the soul obtains the calm supremacy and the body is reduced to subjection when this deliverance is won it is only the first restoration to order and the beginning of freedom every more earnest aspiration after god is a departure from that bondage which holds us in fetters to our self-seeking limits every new light from god breaks down something of the dark circle of ignorance by which we are imprisoned if the soul ascends to a higher contemplation of eternal truth she has parted with some of her earthly load, and has ascended into a diviner atmosphere. Whenever she courageously quits herself in the ventures of faith and hope, and casts her heart upon God as the fountain of her life, she breaks some invisible chain that held her to her native weakness. When she denies herself to herself, that she may live to God, and love him above all things and in all things and when in the love of god she sacrifices her repose in the service of her neighbors she habitually breaks away from the limits set to nature by self-love and becomes enlarged in spirit light and grace and free with that liberty with which god sets us free extending herself evermore beyond her native confines finally the mortal body is wholly sacrificed at the divine call that the soul may pass to god we have considered the beginning and the midway of man but the beginning is for the end and the midway leads to the end the beginning rests on creation the midway rests on the divine providence but the end of the just rests on God. Our great capacity as the image of God was given to us as our first preparation for our final end. The fundamental appetite of our soul for universal good was given to dispose us towards our final end. The supernatural light of faith is given to light us on the way to our final end the law of eternal justice is given to rule us towards our final end the grace of christ is given us to strengthen our will to gain our final end the gifts of the holy spirit are given to sanctify us for our final end the creation makes god known to us whilst it veils him from our sight and the more closely we question the creation The more clearly it tells us that it is not our end, it is not the universal good, but only an inferior and transient good, only a veil before the eternal good, unable to satisfy the soul of man, which is the image of God. All things in this world, in their right use, are for our final end, but our final end is for its own sake our beginning is full of solicitude our midway is full of labor and care but our final end has neither solicitude nor labor nor care but the greater the love which the soul has for god as her final end the more rapid is her movement towards her final end love moves and intention guides her motion to the end of all her desire and she is already in part possession although not yet secure as all good is measured by its end so all evil is measured by its end for as there is a supreme end of all good which is so high that there is nothing above it there is also an end of evil which is so base and low that there is nothing beneath it heaven is the summit of the good that reaches its end and hell is the lowest descent of the evil that reaches its end the end of the wicked who go on to their mortal end in wickedness is their utter failure from their final end and the consummation of evil god is their final end but to god they can never come with the god who is infinitely pure just and holy The defilement of what is unchangeably impure unjust and unholy can never be united the end of the wicked says saint paul is destruction and the destruction the more terrible because it is not the destruction of existence since the soul is created immortal for immortal good nor yet the end of evil since the sinner would not change his evil will but a destruction that brings the evil one to the last extremity of evil, that stands at the remotest distance from the final end of man. For as there is a supreme end of good, in which the just man finds all the good for which he was created, there is an extreme end of evil, prepared by the eternal justice for all unjust and perverted wills. But this is not the final end of man, which is the same for all, but the final loss of that end. In the words of Ecclesiasticus, every corruptible work shall fail in the end, and the worker thereof shall go with it. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord God, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. IN THESE WORDS THE SON OF GOD PROCLAIMS THAT ALL THINGS HAVE THEIR BEGINNING THROUGH HIM, AND ALL THINGS HAVE THEIR END IN HIM, TO WHOM THE FATHER HATH DELIVERED ALL THINGS. AS THE WORD OF GOD, HE MADE ALL THINGS, AND ENLIGHTENS ALL INTELLIGENCES. AS THE WORD INCARNATE, HE BRIDGED OVER THE GULF OF SEPARATION BETWEEN GOD AND THE FALLEN CREATURE. Through his sacrifice and resurrection he renewed all things and opened the way of return through himself for all mankind to god he is the author and the end of the world and of the ages of the law and the prophets of the gospel and the church and to all that are his he gives the beginning and the end of perfection He is the first and the last, says St. Ambrose, the first because all things are through him, the last because the resurrection is also through him. He descended into this earth and placed himself beneath all, that he might lift up whatever has fallen. As he is the renewer of all things and the perfecter of whatever is perfected, he is likewise the judge of all, assigning his end to every one according to his works there is no beginning or end of god and only with respect to us is this to be understood that he is the beginner of our nature and the author of our grace and the end of our faith and love he is the beginner of our justification and the accomplisher of our justification and the perfecter of our justification wherefore he concludes the whole course of his divine revelations with these words behold i come quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to his works i am the alpha and the omega the first and the last the beginning and the end Blessed are they who wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb, that they may have a right to the tree of life, and may enter in by the gates of the city. Without are dogs, and sorcerers, and the unchaste, and murderers, and servers of idols, and every one that loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I AM THE ROOT AND STOCK OF DAVID, THE BRIGHT AND MORNING STAR, AND THE SPIRIT AND THE BRIDE SAY, COME, AND HE THAT HEARETH LET HIM SAY, COME, AND HE THAT THIRSTETH LET HIM COME, AND HE THAT WILL LET HIM TAKE THE WATER OF LIFE FREELY. WHEN THE JUST SOUL LEAVES THE EARTH AND IS PURIFIED FROM EVERY STAIN, SHE IS PREPARED FOR THE VISION OF GOD she will enter into the eternal region where there is no sun nor moon for the lamb is the light thereof she will have reached her final end she will have come to the fountain of light from which all spirits are illuminated and will be at the fountain of life in which all the angels and saints are blessed with eternal life she will see god and what is it to see god eye hath not seen nor ear heard nor hath it entered into the heart of any man to conceive what god hath prepared for them who love him let us not be deceived i again repeat by our present limitations this world is but our place of trial The body is our prison and our carnal senses are the fetters that confine the soul we are now in the day of clouds and see but obscurely and have but slight foretastes of the life to come but when we are delivered from this earthly prison and unfettered from the carnal senses and the spirit prepared by faith and love shall pass from place and time and come into the open presence of God, her capacity shall expand to all its magnitude, as the glory of God enters into her being. A fire of life will enter into her spirit, giving her immortal strength to behold the vision of God. Beholding with open face, she will be filled with light and see all truths in one eternal truth and will see the substance of truth in the father who created her in the son who redeemed her and the holy ghost who sanctified her in one god and father of all who is above all and through all and in all intelligences she will see the beginning and the end of whatever is good in heaven or on earth god is love the life of god is love the life of all that are in god is love from his infinite love this life of love carries the intelligent creature towards god with a fire and force that consumes every thought and desire of turning again to the creature for all good is found in the one supreme good on which the soul makes her final rest she neither turns to herself nor to anything beneath herself god is her object her light her strength her life they shall be inebriated with the torrent of his delight the soul is now a pure likeness of god looking to him alone filled with his good to the brim of her capacity no longer living in herself because god lives in her she sees nothing in herself but become ecstatic she sees all things in god and what shall she there see she beholds the mystery of the holy trinity the fountain of all reason and life she beholds god at his work of creation drawing all things out of nothing through the eternal word she beholds him exercising the stupendous work of his providence ruling all things on their course nourishing all things and giving to each creature the perfection that accords with his eternal plan she beholds the eternal word in his infinite and eternal beauty illuminating all spirits and enlightening all intelligences she beholds him in his godhead as he is the image of the father's substance and the splendour of his glory she beholds him in his humanity as he sits at the right hand of the father and looks into the depths of the mystery of human redemption into which the angels longed to look before it was accomplished she beholds the son of god as he is the divine head of his church and of humanity sending forth to all the earth the rays of his light the streams of his grace and the power of his spirit and holding the members within his body in the unity of faith and obedience she sees the holy spirit one eternal love with the father and the son sending forth the gifts of wisdom and sanctification Reaching from end to end of all things mightily and disposing all things sweetly. She sees that whatever is good or wise or strong or pure or sweet or beautiful or deserving of love in the created universe is but some shadow, reflection, image or vestige of that supreme and sovereign power, wisdom, goodness, beauty, holiness and perfect unity of being in whom is the one indivisible and eternal life whom she blesses and adores as the infinite good and as the inexhaustible giver of all good to every creature that soul thus blessed with the beatific vision is but one of myriads of spirits embracing every order of angels and saints who form one society in god and after their successful probation form one united kingdom of heaven each of those innumerable spirits was a special creation and each is a distinct and singular work of grace each a several and particular star of light and life in that bright heaven with her own history her own accomplished course her own especial reward and glory and whilst each is a likeness of god how endlessly varied is the likeness the good of each is the joy of all for there is no jealousy where there is no self-love and where the same divine spirit worketh all in all now do those blessed spirits comprehend the full sense of his words who redeemed them in his precious blood i am the light and the life and i have given you to have life and to have it more abundantly and as the father liveth by me and i by the father so he that partaketh of me the same shall live by me and where he said he that loveth me shall be loved of my father and i will love him and will manifest myself to him and he also said if any one love me he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him all that these divine promises signify is now unveiled and perfected in spirits become all sight and spiritual sense and able through their whole capacity to embrace the supreme good for which they were created as the soul contemplates all things in god and nothing in herself and as all things past are present with him she sees all that god has done for her in the divine mirror of eternal truth and there beholds the record of her marvellous advancement from her beginning on the verge of nothingness, to her final end in God. Her creation in the image of God, her gift of rational light, and her growth and progress in the world through the unceasing gifts of God's providence in so many kinds, are all present to her mind. The work of her redemption and restoration to God fills her heart with an unspeakable gratitude she beholds all those converging lines of good whether earthly or heavenly which god in his loving care had made to bear upon her course of life to nourish and protect her nature instruct her mind sustain her hope and build her up in the service of the living god she sees the whole of that precious chain of divine lights graces, inspirations, encouragements in trial, pardons after failure, consolations and strengthenings, that extends over her mortal life, and has brought her on her way to God. She sees how God went before her preparing her way, and with her to support her in the way, and followed after her to make her way secure, afflicting her but to heal, striking but to save humbling but to exalt her in a word she there in that eternal mirror sees how god made all things work together for the good of his elect she there also sees with most profound astonishment how poor are the services which even the most zealous of his intelligent creatures render to god when compared to the services that God has rendered to them. He has not only given us the services of his creatures on earth, and of his angels and saints in heaven, but has himself provided for all our needs of every kind. And when our blessed Lord came to this earth, he said, I came not to be served, but to serve. Hence great saints of God, in moments of ecstatic intuition, have used such language as this. When I behold the dear God taking such care of us, and bringing us all that we have need of both for soul and body, I cannot but exclaim, O God, Thou art our servant. It is nobler to give than to receive, but to serve is to give more than all gifts the son of god gave himself to us it is most truly a very noble thing to give ourselves to god's service since he gives himself to ours that one soul whom we have considered as she has reached the final object of her existence is but an example from the great multitude which no man can number and in whom are exhibited the inexhaustible diversities of the divine gifts each of them has a separate and singular history each has her own course among the countless tracks that mark the ways of souls through time each her own path of providence each her own luminous chain of graces and mercies that have conducted her in a different way from nothingness the final possession of god and when all these souls shall have received their corporal frames anew raised in the power of christ from mortality to immortality and from dishonor to glory each will be the spiritualized and agile instrument of the soul to which it belongs having its own proper character and glory derived from the glorifying presence of god in the soul the great end of the creation contemplated from the first is accomplished in them god is wonderful in his saints their very bodies are as harps and cymbals on which to celebrate the praises of god who has raised earth itself to a life so magnificent the kingdom of christ is transformed into the kingdom of heaven where he reigns supreme over those whom he has purchased with his blood and perfected by his spirit it is the new heaven and the new earth raised up to god by him who makes all things new and whilst every spirit praises god with a gratitude ever renewed for all that he has done for her that endless diversity of spirits in whom one spirit reigns gives an inconceivable breadth and magnificence to the harmony of the celestial choirs in whom all the works of the lord bless the lord praise and exalt him for evermore we may sum up the moral application of this book in a few sentences from the pen of st hilary In his own example, the Lord hath taught us to give up the ambition of human glory. He has also left us this precept. The Lord thy God thou shalt adore, and him only shalt thou serve. And through his prophet, he tells us that he chooses the humble people who tremble at his word, and shows us thereby that he has placed the beginning of beatitude in a humble spirit if we breathe humble things we shall not forget that we are men and whilst we are made members of god's kingdom our conscience will keep us in remembrance that god has perfected our body out of the meanest and poorest elements and through his ministering providence has advanced our soul to her present sense and to our present ability of knowing feeling judging and acting nothing is any man's own for no one can claim an exclusive right or property in what he has from one divine father we have all received the same beginning of life and he has ministered the substance whereby our life has grown and is maintained our duty therefore is to imitate that bounty which is exercised towards us by the best of fathers in giving us all things this is done by being good to all and by holding what we have received at the service of all on the other hand we ought not to suffer the pretentious insolence of this world to corrupt us nor the thirst for wealth nor the ambition of vainglory but let us keep ourselves subject to god and as we have received a life that is common to all let us hold to all who have this life by the charity that is given us for all we may take the fact that we have been advanced thus far from nothing by the divine goodness as proof that we may be advanced still farther until we reach the divine goodness himself as the honour and reward of our faithful conduct in this life thus through the spirit of humility whereby we are subject to god and to his gifts we are brought to the better things of our hope and the kingdom of heaven will be ours the end end of lecture fourteen part three End of The Endowments of Man by William Bernard Ullathorne